Attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham Podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. So I was at Cameron Indoor last night, and reflecting on it today, there are three things that will stick out to me from what I saw firsthand. And it starts with Coach K, who after the game was obviously disappointed with his team, usually when his team loses a game that people thought they should win. He is gracious towards the other team, and he was towards the Lumberjacks. He spent most of his press conference applauding the way that they played and saying that his Blue Devils did not deserve to win. But I asked him a question at the very end of the press conference that elicited a response that I had not heard from Coach K, but full disclosure, I'm somebody who's been covering the team for the last three or four years, and I've been following the ACC for much longer before that. I hadn't heard him describe his team the way you're about to hear But after the game ended at around 2 o'clock this morning, somebody who's been around Duke for decades, literally, listened to the same sound, and he said, what you got him to say here is something I have never heard him say. Never heard him in these terms describing his basketball team. Here's how that exchange sounded last night in Cameron. What's the number one thing you wanted to convey to your guys? That we stunk that we weren't deserving of winning. I mean, you just tell them, I'm telling them, I told them what I'm telling you. No secrets. Okay. I mean, what are you going to tell them? Like, it's okay? Or it's not okay. It's not okay to play like that. Yeah, it's not okay. You know, uh, it's not acceptable. So you can, exactly what I told you, I told them. So full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. Once again, full disclosure. Going to make sure that's known. So that's the first thing that's going to stick with me, just the way Coach K described his team afterwards. The next thing is just the locker room. And I feel like I need to add further context with what happens. You know, if you listen to what he has to say, he's not such an idiot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. glad you're with us on this football Friday where we've got an NFL game in the books and more college realignment to talk about. We'll get to both those topics shortly, but first Jets Panthers. This should be a Carolina win. I think it's going to be a Carolina win, but as I drill deeper into it, for me, the appeal and the importance of this opener is all about one thing, Sam Darnold. One person. It's about Sam, and it's not because of the revenge game storyline. I get why people run away with that, and that's why it's a week one matchup, too. That's going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. But when you try to figure out where that might actually be relevant, it's a different coaching staff than Darnold's had. How can he really have anything against Robert Sala since he just arrived? And he there's a different coaching staff, too. Got one of the LaFleurs calling the plays as the OC in uh, New York now. I also don't think he misses being with the Jets. As bad as things were his first three years, do you think he's longing to wear gang green anytime soon? That's the piece that gets lost with it. Are you upset that they gave up on you? Are you upset you're still not there? Some of the questions he's been asked leading up to this game. Honestly, probably not if I'm Sam Darnold. I'm happy I'm in Charlotte. I'm happy it's less pressure here. And I have better coaches and better support staff and a better owner and better almost everything than I have in New York. So he was smart to steer away from that. I don't know how many people are actually buying what he's selling, though. 
it doesn't really matter when you get to Sunday. The talking season's over. It's time to play games, and first impressions matter for Sam. This is his first impression. We didn't see a lot of him in preseason. Three preseason games for Carolina altogether. He played in one, and it was a half. That's what we've seen from Sam Darnold to this point. He played pretty well against the Steelers, but the Steelers weren't game planning for Sam Darnold. They were worried about themselves. The Panthers' offense that they ran that game, it was vanilla. It's not what they're going to be running against New York. The defenses that were being run there, kind of the same thing. They didn't want to put any of the exotic blitzes that they would throw in a normal game on tape for teams that are going to play in the regular season to watch. So I don't put a lot of stock into that. I certainly didn't put a lot of stock into 7-on-7 reps against the Ravens and the Colts. I felt, and I still feel, the evaluation for Sam begins with the opener, and I'm going to give him a month. I'm going to win, before I make I'm going to watch him for a month before I make any judgment on who Sam Darnold is at this point in his career. I want to see it for 3 or 4 games before I leap to any conclusions. But for most fans and for media that's going to watch the Panthers on Sunday but probably not watch them as closely week to week, first impressions really do matter. They stick with you. And I think It is important for Sam to get off on the right foot because if he doesn't, what makes you think he's going to be able to as we progress during the season? If Carolina can't take care of business against a first-year head coach in his debut and a first-year quarterback in his debut at home, what game on the schedule do you feel confident Carolina is going to win? This should be the easiest game on the schedule. I get it's the opener, and coaches will tell you, openers can be tough, but everything is set up for Darnold to be successful. Everything. You know the personnel defensively. So you have to know that the corner situation, the secondary, might be the worst secondary in the NFL. The most experienced corner they have is a corner from Virginia named Bryce Hall a couple years ago, who has exactly five NFL starts from last year. That's it. That's the most starts among the Jets' corners combined. The most starts. It is Bryce Hall. It's a bad secondary group. LaMarcus Joyner, he's had moments from Florida State when when he played for the Rams and some other teams, but he's bounced around for good reason. Everything is set up for Darnold. you got Robbie Anderson, who you have familiarity with from your first couple years in the league. you got Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall, who they drafted in the second round. You're at home. Everything is set up for you to be successful in this spot. So it's now about Darnold going out there and doing it. Some game notes, by the way. Carolina's completely healthy with the exception of Shai Smith, who we don't know if he's going to play on Sunday. Jamison Crowder, not going to go. Tested positive a week ago for COVID, and even though he was vaccinated, thus putting him on the five-day COVID protocol list versus, say, someone like John Miller, who tested positive, who has to be on the 10-day list, the former Duke star Crowder not going to go on Sunday. Carolina should win the game. I expect them to. The margins are always smaller than you think going into games, so I don't think it's going to be by a ton. Give me the Panthers 21, the New York Jets 16. On Twitter, at WSJS Sports, if you want in, what's your thought on Panthers-Jets Sunday? 336-777-1600 if you want in that way. Last night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers opened the 2021 NFL season with a win. But the biggest story to come from that game was not Tom Brady and his drive at the end. It was Dak Prescott's performance. Boy, was he good. And a popular criticism today of the Dallas Cowboys has really bothered me. A popular criticism I've seen, Dallas wasn't balanced. How do you only give the ball to Zeke Elliott just a handful of times? This entire preseason, 
We heard about in Hard Knocks how careful you're being with Dak, and you're going to ease him back into things. How can you throw the ball 50 times, Kellen Moore? How can you do that? You're not balanced. You're paying Zeke Elliott all that money. That's the criticism I keep hearing over and over again. I think this is rooted in a misperception about what balance actually is. Some people believe you can find balance by just looking at a box score. You look at a box score, and if you see 25 runs and 25 passes in a game, well, that team is balanced. If it's more inverted like last night, and you're throwing it close to 50 times and only running a handful of times, you might think that team is out of control. They don't know what they're doing. That play caller, what are we doing? This is an unbalanced team. Any coach would tell you that's not the case. Balance isn't how many times you run it versus how many times you throw. Balance is about being able to look at what a defense is giving you and being comfortable enough to capitalize on that. Todd Bowles, the moment that Zach Martin, the offensive guard, was out of this game, decided... We're going to take away Zeke Elliott. It's going to be easier for us to take away Zeke Elliott. That's exactly what we're going to do. We watch hard knocks just like you guys watch hard knocks. If they're worried at all about his shoulder, we're going to we're going to test Dak. We could let's see if Dak's going to beat us himself. We're not going to let Zeke do that. So the entire game, they loaded up the box on Dallas and said, "How about you throw?" And what did Kellen Moore keep doing? He kept throwing. That's what balance is. And how did I know that was the right decision by Kellen Moore? They almost beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night. So Kellen Moore, he he looked at the defense, saw what they were doing, and said, okay, you're going to give this to us? That's what we're going to take then. That is what balance is. I don't think Zeke Elliott is less of a running back. I just think that if it was on the other, if the shoe was on the other foot and they were playing past the entire game, then we're talking about Zeke Elliott getting that many carries and Dak throwing the ball minimally. Yes, Luke. And did you see Zeke in pass protection too? I mean, he's probably the reason Dak's not back on injured reserve at this point, the way the Tampa yes. Bay defense was in the backfield all night. Both him and Pollard were pretty good in pass protection. Dallas should have won the game last night. They should have won it going away. Zerline missing a chip shot, missing a PAT, giving away points. Not going to fault him for the 60-yarder at the end of the half. Tampa was sloppy. You had regular season Fournette, which is different than playoff Leonard. Ball going off his hands, being picked off. The previous drive, Ronald Jones fumbled the football. So they were sloppy. All the red zone trips, you had all these opportunities. Dallas should have won the game. They are not the more talented team, but they played better last night. So it's a testament to Tampa and Tom that even when they're not playing well, they can figure out a way to win games, and that's what great teams do. Dak went toe-to-toe with Brady, and that's a big takeaway. Here's where I throw the water, though, on Dallas Cowboy fans today. Cowboy fans are feeling good. You lost the game. You missed an opportunity. Tampa didn't play that well, and you still didn't win, and you're going to feel good about it? Since when did Dallas, the Cowboys, America's team, become the team of moral victories? Hey, we almost won. Yeah, that's what we did. I'm not concerned about Dak, how many times he could throw it yet. It's not like Cam Newton in 2018, where his arm deteriorated to the point where he couldn't throw it over 15 yards by week 15, week 16. But I don't think the way they played last night is sustainable. And we just got some news in here. So Zach Martin, he missed out last night. They expect to have him back next week. They're not going to have Lyle Collins. That is a big deal. Ian Rappaport did some Rappa reporting in the last hour and has tweeted, Lyle Collins has been suspended five games without pay for violation of the NFL policy and program on substances of abuse. He missed drug tests. He failed to appear for drug tests, which is the same as flat out failing the test. So Dallas is going to be without a starting right tackle for the next five games. It's already happening for Dallas. That's why I thought they had a great opportunity last night. 
You, 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 most of your line is healthy, particularly your two tackles who are older, especially Tyron Smith. Don't throw that away. You got a healthy Zeke. You got a healthy Dak. You got healthy receivers. That's your opportunity. Teams are generally these defending champs. They're sloppy on opening night, and Tampa Bay was. They missed an opportunity there. I still don't think Dallas is a playoff team. I don't. I like Washington better in that division. I think the Giants are going to be better. Philly is a dumpster fire. But the Buccaneers, even though they won, Dallas was the story. It was Dak. I felt good for Dak that he played well. I still don't think Dallas is a team that's going to make the postseason. I really don't. Well, I'm, I'm a are- Washington fan, so preseason optimism is not a thing for us. So I'll I'll try not to hold it against you when we inevitably go six and eleven or something like that. What do you mean? You got Riverboat Ron, and he has a defense. He's building that team like he did uh, in Charlotte. The only thing missing is an MVP quarterback. That's the only thing that's missing. But Fitzmagic is an upgrade over Dwayne Haskins and Taylor Heineke. I'll, I'll give you that. But man, that's just I, it's almost it's a conditioning thing. It's like I know better than to than to have hope. They're going to win nine or ten games this year. That's what Washington's going to do, and I think that's going to be good enough. I think ten wins is good enough to win the NFC East. Dallas is probably going to be at seven and ten or or eight and nine. The Giants are going to be in a similar range as that. I think ten wins wins the division, and I think the Washington football team is the best team right now. I guess he knows what he's doing. He can't argue with success, right? Right. You're on the drive with Josh Gray. You got that bond. WSJS Sports. Man, don't feel sorry for me, bro. I'm straight. I'm good. I'm 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 flourishing. Did it catch me by surprise being released? Absolutely. So Cam Newton said a few days ago he was gonna put out a video that sets the record straight, that tells his side of the story. And that's what he did today with his dad, Cecil Newton, who was a big part of the story while he was at Auburn about a decade ago. And here to talk about this with us is our friend David Glenn, kind enough to join us in studio here. You let me know if I sound like the old crotchety man just yelling at the kids to get off his lawn (laughs) when I say this, but I thought this video was an embarrassment. I didn't think it's a good look. If you really are trying to play football moving forward, I don't know who watches this video and thinks, yep, we need an unvaccinated quarterback to potentially be our backup, who, in addition to that, might, if we cut him, or if something goes wrong, sit down at the 50-yard line with his dad and have the dad call him, call the team, the coach, and I quote, the move to cut him was dirty and a sucka move, and in addition to that, play the victim like Cam Newton did in this video. That's what I felt about it. Do I sound like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino? Maybe only a little bit. I don't think you're off base, but I think you could take that conclusion too far, meaning the bottom line remains the same with or without that video. Every GM, every coach in this league is going to look at Cam Newton through the same prism, and that is, can he help us win games? That's the starting point for the conversation. And right now, if you are unvaccinated, I know all the coaches and GMs are saying nobody's getting cut for this reason or that. I do believe that that's not the only reason somebody would be cut. Sure. But it's absolutely not true that it is not part of the equation. It's absolutely part of the equation because it affects your competitiveness as a team. Urban Meyer even said it out loud. And if you are five times more likely to get it, which is what the science shows and 29 times more likely to be hospitalized if you do get it, if you're unvaccinated, as the science shows, well, then they're going to factor these things into the equation. And they're going to factor in, oh, by the way, Josh, in that same video, he made reference to breaking protocol. Who are the coaches in the history of football most sensitive to a quarterback, their starting quarterback, breaking protocol that ends up leading to missing practice time? Probably Nick Saban at Alabama and Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. And that's why when the story leaked with quotes saying how they were unhappy about it, red uh, alarm bells just sounded in my head because when you also think about New England, you think airtight. When there is drama... You don't hear about it until three years after the fact in the Seth Wickersham story. 
that that stuff doesn't leak out, that stuff doesn't get out. So the fact that it did get out tells me that they wanted it out, and the reason they wanted it out, they they didn't trust Cam to a degree to follow protocol, and in addition to that, his availability factor if he were to test positive for COVID. It's just an it's a it's a disadvantage uh, athletically you have. A disadvantage competitively is what I meant to say. Let's hear, actually, some more from Cam Newton. We have these clips queued up here. Luke, let's start with Cam Newton. If it wasn't vaccination, well, what exactly was it that led to you being released by the Patriots last week? Bring it to me. The reason why they released me is because indirectly I was going to be a distraction. Without if, being a starter. Without being a starter. Yeah. And this was but not how? Come, verbally or in the locker room? Just my aura. Okay. Just my aura. And and that's just, and I told you this off camera, that's my gift and my curse. Yeah. When you bring a Cam Newton to your facility, when you bring a Cam Newton to your franchise, people are interested by mere fact they of are intrigued. who is he? Yeah. Why does he wear yeah. his hair? Yeah. Why does he talk? Why does he act? Why does he perform? Why yeah. does all these yeah. questions? Before we, we completely jump on that, let's hear him out fully. Let's hear more of Cam's rationale, why he believes he was released by the Patriots. Here's more from Cam. They would have asked me, would I play behind? They said, Cam, we're going to give the team to Mac. Okay. You're going to be the second string. We okay. expect you to be everything and some yeah. to guide yeah, him yeah, throughout yeah, yeah. this tenure. Okay. I would have said absolutely, yeah. Cam. But listen. Cam, listen, the truth of the matter is this. He would have been uncomfortable. Okay, so Mac Jones would have been uncomfortable. This seems to be a very convenient position to take. The reason why I got cut wasn't because Mac Jones was better or I was unvaccinated. It was because I'm so good, my aura, <laughs> my aura was just too much. It's a distraction to people. My hats. Mac Jones wouldn't know what to do if he saw me walking in on a game day with my hat and I wasn't the starter, as if he didn't play for Nick Saban and win a national championship in Alabama and competed alongside Tua and Jalen Hurts, who are starting on Sundays, unlike Cam Newton. Listen, I, I'm a huge Cam fan. I loved watching Cam Newton. If he if he gets a job, I will root for him. I really will. But this is a terrible look to me that you're taking zero accountability. You're sidestepping what I believe to be the elephant in the room talking about vaccination. Because I do think that's a big part of it. And essentially the reasons he's giving for the why he got cut was that Oh, the Patriots wouldn't know how to handle me if I was on the team. It would be a distraction, which is a shot to Bill Belichick as a coach to be able to manage that, and a shot indirectly as well to Mac Jones. He wouldn't be able to perform. It would affect his performance if Cam was on the roster. When it comes to the big picture, I think you and I are on the exact same page. In other words... Cam Newton's one of the most entertaining quarterbacks I have ever seen. He's one of the greatest players in Carolina Panthers history. I love watching him, and over the last decade plus on a lot of different platforms, I defended Cam Newton a lot more than I criticized Cam Newton. You and I both. I'm not into hero worship. Nobody's right all the time or wrong all the time, but I defended Cam a lot more often, often against ridiculous criticism, um, than I criticized him for what I thought were valid reasons. In this case... I think Cam is missing some of the bigger picture. The reality is that Bill Belichick and his offensive staff got a full season of not only the video that we could all cue up, what did Cam look like at the age of 32, six years removed from his NFL MVP season here in Carolina, four years removed now from his last winning record as a starting quarterback in the NFL. They have the video, but they also got to observe everything else about Cam Newton. As he said, what is it, his blessing and his curse, right? That's right. They got eyefuls of all of it, not only in front of the curtain, as we did, but behind the curtain, as we did not. And what what did they decide to do as an organization after a year of Cam as their starting quarterback? They used the 15th pick of the first round on Alabama's Mac Jones. And you gave him a one-year contract that wasn't worth anything. That says a lot. And as we move forward, whether we're glancing back or glancing forward, you know the deal 
32 years old, long injury history. I hope he gets another chance, but is he a distraction as part of the equation for some coaches, not all? Is he truly healthy? Can he be our guy? Will he accept being a backup? He says yes, and at this stage of his career, I do I do believe Cam when he says that he could accept being the backup. But, of course, if you're Bill, Bill Belichick, it's your job to get to know Mac Jones. And it's your job to know whether Cam would be helpful as that aging mentor versus that distraction that causes Mac to look over his shoulder. And I can't read Bill Belichick's mind, but I think a whole lot more went into this equation than Cam Newton is, is suggesting right now. And some of it doesn't reflect all that well on Cam. Belichick did the same thing in 2001. When when Brady took over for Bledsoe and it became clear that Brady was the guy, the next year they got rid of Bledsoe. Yep. And, and I think to a degree that's in respect. It's, it's due to respect to Bledsoe, but also... You don't want somebody looking over your shoulder if you think it could affect the young quarterback. And obviously they like Mac Jones. You want to take him 15th if he didn't. But there's also a deeper relationship between Saban and Belichick that we've learned about in recent years too. So I, I got a feeling conversations happened. And if Belichick saw enough from Mac, and there were good things from Mac in the preseason, and he liked what he saw in college and what Nick Saban was telling him, yeah, if it's close, roll with the rookie. But this video... I don't. I th I think it did more harm than good, but I think a big part of the reason why Cam put out the video had to be what you just talked about there, wanting to address on the record anybody who had concerns about whether Cam would take yes. a backup position. It didn't have to be forty-three minutes. Like True. that scene. If you're wondering what Cam got out of this video, it is that clip that we pay we played for you there. That Cam would be willing to play that role. That Cam wasn't given the option to stay and decided to leave like some in the media suggested. No, Cam would have stayed if he was asked to, according to Cam, and I think he wants NFL teams to know that. That's what I think. Well, I got you in here. David Glenn's here. Chapelboro.com, you're doing a lot of stuff, and yeah. I feel the need to ask you about Carolina. A week ago, they lose to Virginia Tech. To me, North Carolina strikes me as being in a pretty good position, believe it or not, where you you come back down to earth, I do feel like that loss was a blessing in disguise, in a sense, where now expectations are a bit more realistic and you could still do historic things, like winning nine or ten games, something that's only happened once since Mac left in the late 1990s, and it was the 2015 team that went to the championship game, and I think also lost their opener to South Carolina that year before winning 11 in a row. You're at 24. And in your next six games, you should win them all. I believe that. And if you're 6-1 and one going into that Notre Dame game coming off a of bye, you might be pretty close to that top 10 preseason ranking you had right before that first playoff ranking comes out. So there's still a lot to play for. But before we push it too far down the road, Georgia State, Carolina, do you, what do you think the environment looks like at Keenan Stadium given all the college crowds we've seen in the last week? Believe it or not, tomorrow is the first college football Saturday we've had in the state right. because Thursday and Friday, all of our state's teams were playing that was crazy. in the middle of the week. What do you think about tomorrow night? Should it be a big Carolina win? What should the crowd look like? Well, I think it'll be a big Carolina win, and I think it'll be a good crowd because as Bubba Cunningham, the Carolina AD, has said repeatedly during the offseason, the donors and the fans have rallied around Mac Brown Part 2 in a way that he hadn't seen very often from the Rams club, so to speak. And that's a huge positive sign, and a little bit of the glow is off of Mac Brown Part 2 because of this loss in Blacksburg. But you mentioned how long it has been since the Tar Heels have been to great things, and only once have they been in double-digit wins. That remains a realistic goal, right? Yeah. E even if you went 9-3 and three in the regular season and won your bowl game, you're at, you're at double digit wins for the second time since 1997. I mean, even that, if you get the nine wins, no teams had more than eight. And he's such a good recruiter that just snowballs his sales pitch, which is see, it's Mac Part Two, and they were okay in year one and better in year two, and then if you truly are better in year three, you still have your sales pitch. But you and I both know there's a huge difference between figuring out a way to go ten and two versus falling all the way to. 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four or whatever. And the Georgia State game is not going to be the one that makes that difference. 
last year, the Tar Heels left the state of North Carolina four times and lost three of those games. Wow. They just left the state once, and they're 0-1. So whether you respect some of the road games left, you know, Pitt, NC State, Notre Dame obviously is not an easy easy matchup. You're looking at the one member of the ACC media that voted Pittsburgh to win the ACC Coastal. I believe they're good as well. I believe the Wolfpack is good as well. So look at Those that. two look, games, I have no clue. Look at that road slate for the Tar Heels. Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Pitt, NC State. I know the Yellow Jackets are down right now, but would you would you assure me that the Tar Heels are going to have a winning record in those four games? It's October 31st on. That final month of the season is brutal for them, and I don't think people realize it. Short week at Pitt, and then the short week at NC State the day after Thanksgiving. At Notre Dame, I don't need to express how difficult that's going to be. So you're right. This road thing, there might be something to it, and I think where those games are scheduled makes things difficult as well. You've got an App State Miami shirt on from the 2016 matchup between the two. Has me thinking. And if you have questions for DG, we've got him in here for the next 30 minutes. 336-777-1600 is the phone number if you want in on the show. The American Conference has been raided by the Big 12. And its commissioner, Mike Oresco, says they're about to go on the offensive. Could Appalachian State join the AAC? We'll discuss that next on The Drive. Hour after hour. What is this? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Hashtag as expected. The Big 12 officially added BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF earlier today. Nicole Auerbach is reporting that they're going to be split into two divisions when it's said and done. We don't quite know yet when Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC. As of right now, that's looking at that's looking like 2025, which means BYU, we know, is going to join in 2023. There might be some overlap there. There's a chance we might have one full season if the contracts were to hold true today, and I don't think they will. You might have all four of the teams added today plus Texas and Oklahoma for the 2024 season. But some legal pieces need to get worked out, and I would be surprised by 2023 if Texas and OU were not gone to the SEC and all these American Athletic Conference schools weren't starting the same year as BYU two football seasons from now. Let's view this from the Big 12's perspective, though. I felt this was a move five years too late. Let's go back to the summer of 2016, why don't we? In the summer of 2016, Bob Bowlesby said that he was looking to expand. They were the Big 12 with 10 teams in it. So they were looking to expand. So what happened? ton of teams apply, have a ton of interest, including BYU. And three-fourths of the American Athletic Conference all sent applications to the Big 12 looking for membership, including East Carolina here in the state of North Carolina. All the teams that were added today reached out to the Big 12 Conference, even had a presentation to tell them, we want to join your league. And what did Bob Bowlesby do? He decided, nah, we're just going to stay at 10. I'm sure that'll keep Texas and Oklahoma happy. We'll just stay Stay at 10 and ride this thing out. Now he's adding these schools, and it's reactionary. You can usually tell what type of leader you have based on whether or not they care what the reaction is. If they're driven by the reaction to things versus thinking ahead and doing what's best for their company or for their members. Being forward-thinking on things. And Bob Bowlesby, time and time again, has proven not to be that guy. He didn't even realize that while he was negotiating with Greg Sankey, the SEC commish, in a four-member group to create the 12-team playoff format, that Sankey was about to gut his league and take Texas and Oklahoma from him. He didn't even realize. It's the same conference commissioner that did not implement 
a Big 12 championship game in football until he had to. Why? The first year of the college football playoff, there should have been a Big 12 school in it. You had Ohio State get in, who was ranked behind both Baylor and TCU heading into that final playoff show. And the reason Baylor, neither Baylor nor TCU got in was because they didn't have a conference championship game and Ohio State did. So they don't get in. And what does the Big 12 Conference do? Very quickly, in quick order, we have a conference championship game now. That is reactionary. Reactionary leadership. And what's crazy about it is, and this is something we'll never know the answer to, if they added these same four schools five years ago, it might have kept OU and Texas in the conference. We'll never know the answer to that. But what we do know, Scott Frost was a head coach at UCF in 2016. And in 2017 and 18, he had unbeaten seasons in the regular season and never really had a shot to make the playoff. That's because he was a new American. Now, would he have done the same thing? Would that would UCF have done the same thing in the Big 12? You might think not, but at least they would have had the opportunity. And if they did, an unbeaten UCF in the Big 12 or any other power conference would have gotten an opportunity to play in the playoff. And it's not just UCF. How about Cincinnati last year? Cincinnati, I love their resume. I love their team. Desmond Ritter, that defense, the coach, and Luke Fickle, they looked like a playoff-caliber team, but we're never going to get that opportunity because of the conference they played in. If they were in the Big 12, they would have had the opportunities to prove they belong. And if one of the two did that, and you have somebody else not named Texas and OU propping up your entire league, maybe Texas and OU aren't so quick to look sideways and get the money grab going with the Southeastern Conference. We'll never know the answer to that. But sitting back did nothing to incentivize OU in Texas five years ago. This league, I do know this, shouldn't be an automatic qualifier to the playoff. Later this month, in fact, in the next couple of weeks, the, the conference commissioners are supposed to meet you have the working members of the playoff group, this 12-team playoff group, going to talk about the playoff. And it's expected, because of the alliance, that the 12-team format's not going to be a go. Or at least it's not going to be a go right from Jump Street. They're going to push back on that. The reason why Greg Sankey wanted 12 was this reason. He wanted more than four at-large bids. Because that's essentially what the playoff is right now. They don't have automatic qualifiers, so it's four at-large bids. He doesn't want anything fewer than four at-large bids. So if you're talking about having an automatic bid for the Power 5 conferences and one for the highest-ranked group of five, well, you need to have at least four, four at-large spots. That would put you at 10, so he wouldn't be in favor of anything less than 10. I think you have to do that math differently now, considering... That the Big 12 doesn't look like a Power 5 lead right now. If you add these four schools in there, the last national championship, if we did, if we subtract Texas and Oklahoma, the last national championship you have in that group is BYU in 1984. Before that, the last claimed national championship was in 1945. So you're not really talking about anybody who has a program worth being a national title contender in the realest sense. So they, they don't deserve an automatic bid, so that number should be lessened. shouldn't be a 12-team format. And whatever it is, there's going to be automatic qualifiers, you can imagine. The Big 12 should not be getting one of those qualifiers considering what this league is. And nobody, there's nobody to blame for this other than Bob Bowlesby. Bob Bowlesby is primarily responsible for the position the Big 12's in because he makes decisions five years too late like this one. Or not having a conference championship game in football, which cost them a playoff appearance in 2014. By the way, the team that did get in, Ohio State, that fourth spot, they ended up winning the first national championship that year. Let's get the weekly positivity. That sounded really negative. Shots at the Big 12 and Bob Bowlesby. You know, I just want to cheer things up. It's Friday. The weekend's close. So let's let's cheer things up around here. 
Say hello to my little friend. We've had two producers on today's show. We've got Luke and we've got Cole. If you have something good that's going on in your life right now, something good you'd like to share with us, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. We're on Twitter at WSJS Sports. Hi, Luke. How you doing? You know, Robert never asks me that. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm doing well also. It's, it's Thanks. I never asked you how you were doing. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear you're doing well. I'll tell you something good. I got a Peloton this week, and I've been on it four straight days. And yesterday, it really kicked my ass. But that's good because... We're, we're getting fit, and we've got engagement photos in two or three weeks, and I need to look right. That's the plan. So that's good. How about you tell me something good? Well, my brother just celebrated his 32nd birthday yesterday. Uh, so I how did, you, how did he celebrate? Uh, he didn't really do a whole lot. He's got a two-year-old at home and a dog, so he just hung out with his family, and I gave him a call for the first time in a while. You know, with brothers, it's like... I don't know if you have any brothers, but you know you don't talk. Yeah, for I have an six older brother. You don't talk for six months, but when you do talk, it's for six hours at a time. Yeah, so that's kind of what it was like. It was I, nice I, that's not up. what it's like with my brother. Oh. I I talk to my brother. <laughs> he lives in California. I think we talk about once a week. So not, not too bad at all. Hey Cole, tell me something good. Um, let's see. Yesterday, um, I did my first meeting for the Elon in LA program. So. We're getting things wrapped up and uh, getting everything set up to go to L.A. in February. So actually going to a meeting makes it feel like it's coming up right upon us. That's good. And I'm going to Greenville right after the show. Looking forward to that. I'm sure Greenville is going to be civilized. And there's not going to be anybody booked in the local Greenville jail. And the fans... No one's going to get drunk and fall out. That's not South Carolina and ECU fans. No way. And that's good. And that's been Weekly Positivity. Damn. I thought that was something that was going to leave with Robert. Robert always cutting it off abruptly. But no. Luke, first time with Weekly Positivity. Knocking that out there. In a few minutes... I'll take a stand, sort of, more of a stab of picking the three big in-state college football games this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to Adam Gold next on The Drive. Microphone. Check, check. All right, ready? Here we go again. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Billy Joel might be the best concert I've ever been to. Cole, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Uh, the only one I've ever been to is the yeah, Homecoming concert. That's, you know, just stop talking. I want to hear more of Billy Joel. Adam Gold's going to join us in a few minutes. Also, your voice is too quiet. Billy's just yelling and can barely hear you. What was the answer to that question? Uh, I said I've only been to one concert, and it's the homecoming concert my freshman year, and it was T-Pain. So. That's pretty good. I've seen T-Pain. Great show. Uh, either the Abbott show that I just went to at Red Rocks or Billy Joel at Truist Field, best concerts I've ever been to. So let's get into college football. Wake Forest is going to cream Norfolk State. We know that. Tomorrow at noon, Military Appreciation Day, also 9-11 and... Uh, Certainly going to be a solemn day tomorrow in that regard. I'm going to be at ECU in South Carolina. No clue what to do with that game. It's going to be weird. It's going to be drunk. Like a lot of the people in Greenville, America tomorrow. Elsewhere, gosh, it's just so difficult to take a stab at some of these games. Not North Carolina, I suppose. They're going to win by four touchdowns against Georgia State. Give me North Carolina 41, Georgia State 13. 
tomorrow as North Carolina begins the climb back up through the rankings. They should win their next six games. They're going to be favored in their next six. Five of the six are going to be at Keenan Stadium. Then you got Appalachian State, 7 o'clock tomorrow, facing Miami. At the start of the week, I felt pretty good about the Mountaineers. They might match up up front, and I still think they might. But it's a bad spot to catch Miami. It's a night game, too. And all I can think of is the first game of this series when App State was feeling pretty good, that they'll have a shot to knock off Miami. Miami's going to Boone. You got Scott Satterfield as the coach. And they got drilled in that game. So I don't think they're going to get drilled in Miami tomorrow night. I don't think Miami is that great of a team. I think they're a 6-7 or seven win team, to be honest. But I do think they're going to beat Appalachian, and maybe they'll get a late score to make it look worse than what it actually is. Give me Miami 38, App State 21. NC State and Mississippi State, Pittsburgh going down to Knoxville. No clue with either of these games. South Carolina and ECU the same way. I have no read on it whatsoever. Nothing would surprise me. Shootout, low-scoring game, one side winning, the other winning. Just no clue what to make of them. So I'm instead going to defer to Adam Gold, who joins us now, our midday host, noon to three, right here on WSJS Sports. Those are the three games I'm highlighting for you right now. ECU, South Carolina, Mississippi State, NC State, Pitt, and, and Tennessee. Is the, any of the three games, out of those three games, do you have a read on any of them? No, it's week two. I have no idea about anything other than Alabama is playing a different sport than everybody else. Other than that, it's a roll of the dice no matter what game you're talking about, pretty much. Let's look at the Panthers and the Jets. You're a recovering Jet fan. Yeah. You've watched a lot of Sam Darnold. The best-case scenario Carolina's rooting for is Ryan Tannehill, where he is surrounded with more talent to throw the ball to, some stability on the coaching staff, a young budding coach, and a offensive coordinator who has head coaching ability uh, like Tannehill had with Arthur Smith, who's now Atlanta's coach, and Carolina hopes they have with Joe Brady, surrounding him with some talent. I think Sunday's game is all about Sam what do you think happens in Panthers-Jets? Do you expect it to be weird or Carolina taking care of business? I mean, I, I don't know what Carolina taking care of business looks like. It's been so long. Uh, I think Carolina, the best part about the Panthers is their defense. So um, I think they can be good defensively and win the game there. Um, I, I mean, I, my assumption is the, the reference to Tannehill is more about uh, just becoming a uh, good, competent, a winning quarterback. But I don't think the styles are in any way similar between Tannehill or, and Donald. And I also don't think they'll be asked to do the same things. Uh, to me, I guess Tannehill I'm thinking of two coaches. Up. I guess I'm thinking two coaches that were ruined by Adam Gase in the AFC East that then <laughs> found another opportunity and it turned yeah. out pretty well. That's what I'm talking I think about. There are parallels. I just don't think the style of quarterback is the same. I agree. Um, I think Darnold is going to be asked to throw uh, a good intermediate pass. He's going to be asked to distribute the ball to what should be a good array of playmakers. And DJ and Robbie Anderson and McCaffrey and maybe even Terrace Marshall. Um, and Dan Arnold at tight end, although I'm not as high on the tight end position as some might be, but um, and hopefully make fewer mistakes than he did with the Jets. But even even in Darnold's best at Southern Cal, he threw a bunch of interceptions, even while he was becoming one of the top players in the you know in that in his draft class. So um, I I just I just hope that he plays kind of free. And uh, like I, I said this to. Uh, uh, to Mick, and I think I also said it to Trey Wingo today, because he's a Baylor guy and Matt Rule's his guy. Like I just hope that the Panthers, as a as an outfit, have kind of cleaned up the uh, the little mistakes 
that plagued them last year and really plagued them a lot even during the Ron Rivera era with pre-snap, you know, or penalties after timeouts, you know, delay of games after timeouts, false starts, that kind of stuff. Get rid of that stuff and uh, and just, you know, all things being equal, see if you have more talent than somebody else. It's not sexy to talk about those things, but it's so true. Games are won in the margins in the NFL. It's why Carolina yeah. last year was 5-11, and 11, and eight of those 11 losses were with, were by one possession, and they had the ball at the end of the game. The, the Chicago Bears won more of those close games, and that's how they made the playoffs last year with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback and being an 8-8 eight and eight team. So those things that, that you're talking what, about... Is that why Dallas lost? Is that why Dallas lost last night in the margins? Absolutely. And I think that's the secret sauce of the NFL. You got Kansas City and Tampa Bay at the top. You have four or five teams that are gross, that are terrible, and then everybody else is within a kick. Everybody else. You know, that's kind of what it is. And Carolina feels like this is the argument for Carolina, and I believe in it, that in the margins, quarterback play, it can really make such a great difference. They feel like they've upgraded there. It's a marginal upgrade, and that's what the Athletic put out with Mike Sando's rankings and some of these other things that league executives believe. But all of them do believe that Darnold is better than Teddy. Even if it's marginal, that might be the difference between 5-11 and 11 and being a winning football team. I buy it. I see Carolina winning nine games. Yeah, I can see him winning nine games. I don't know that that's a, uh, any great achievement, except it's a good second step. I think the early part of their schedule is the softer part of their schedule. Uh, I just thought there are quarterbacks that can go out and win games for you, and then there are quarterbacks you just don't want them to lose games for you. And I think Sam is probably, at, at this stage of his career, in the second group than in the first group. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't be good, because to me, that's kind of a Kirk Cousins. Don't lose it. Don't lose the game for us. I don't need you to do anything spectacular. And I really, I would love to be, to be able to think that the Panthers can rely defensively on that unit to keep the score a little bit lower, keep them in games, and give them an opportunity. Uh, at, but I do think it's going to come down to the intangibles for them. It's Adam Gold with us here on Twitter at a Gold Fan. Listen to the Adam Gold Show noon to three weekdays right here on WSGS Sports. I understand you took exception with an opinion I had earlier this week. Do I have that right? Yeah, I haven't talked about it because it's, uh, it's there was it was gratuitous. Uh, you and your little nostalgia about ACC basketball, but there really wasn't anything, uh, you know, to work it into the conversation today. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do a radio subtweet of you, so I, we didn't really talk about it. But uh, okay, well, let, 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 well, then let's <laughs> talk about it because it's amazing. Yeah. It's it was based on texts that I've received by folks, noteworthy folks in the ACC that I just so happened to agree with. And then after I put that out on social media, I heard from a lot of coaches in football and in basketball on ACC teams that were agreeing with it as well. It's the fact that just because of just because football pays the bills doesn't mean that's who you are. And right. I think that it, you it, we can all agree and be adults about it and say that football, yes, it's important and you need to be good at it. But... Going up on stage, if you're Commissioner Phillips and saying football is our priority, this is this that's the most important thing, is there's a reason why John Swafford would never say that. And it's not because John Swafford's out of touch. It's because he understands the history of this league, which is something Jim Phillips says that he understands when he's talking to David Teal about why he needs to pursue opportunities to potentially move the conference out of Greensboro, the headquarters. So that's it was all a bigger piece to talk about how I'm concerned about the future when nobody seems interested in some of the nostalgia and the traditions that I do think matter. All right, here's the here's my uh, my read on this. Um, the ACC's best sport will always be basketball. For the rest of time, the ACC's best sport will always be basketball. Um, but Jim Phillips is right in that you have to make football a priority because money is all coming through football. And the ACC is probably the rare league that makes a pretty good amount of money on basketball. 
and the ACC network will need their basketball, uh, and I think even to a certain extent things like baseball, uh, to make the network uh, a really big moneymaker for the league. But I, I don't think it's a, it's a hit at the nostalgia, and I don't think it matters where you're... Uh, hell, you can be a Bishop Sycamore League. It doesn't make a difference where your headquarters are. It just doesn't. Well, let me ask you a question then, a pointed question about it. Do you believe, I believe these, this existential crisis, air quotes, that people are making around the ACC right now, that they need to prioritize football or they're going to, going to be irrelevant or cease to exist, is nothing more than presidents trying to pull it power that they didn't have before and capitalize on that with a new commissioner in place. And maybe, if I'm just being honest, weak-minded university presidents too who are only interested in a cash grab that is football. I don't really well, buy that it's an existential crisis for the league to pursue football. I don't think I don't think the league is in an existential crisis. They were back in around, you know, 2000 and you know, 2 2003 when John Swafford expanded the league beyond 9. That's when the league was in an existential crisis. That's when if they didn't act they were going to go away. The ACC's not going away. Uh, what the ACC needs to do is figure out a, get to, a way to get uh, more than halfway financially to where the SEC and Big Ten are going to be in the next five years. When those two leagues start distributing $75 million uh, each to their member institutions, how does the ACC get near 40 or 45? Uh, right now, the contract with ESPN won't allow them to get there. Uh, the ACC network has to do something, but it's not going to do that much. So what do they have to do? That's what this whole alliance was about. This whole alliance was about consolidating power to uh, not only combat what the SEC has done, uh, where I don't mean you, we can call it underhanded if you want. I don't really care. Uh, it's business. Business is dirty. Uh, but also to combat their future partner in Notre Dame. Notre Dame cut what? A lot of people consider to be a sweetheart deal for themselves in a 12-team playoff. And if you're the ACC, your, your first priority should be saying, hey, how do we make it so Notre Dame needs to be in the ACC? Not wants to, needs to. And the way you do that is you pump the brakes on a college football playoff expansion of any kind, which, as Nicole Auerbach wrote, I think yesterday uh, in the athletic is the most likely scenario that will come out of there will be no expansion of the playoff until the exclusive window for ESPN is open is 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 closed and then it becomes uh, an ESPN Fox NBC property uh, and maybe it doesn't go to twelve because twelve doesn't benefit the ACC. It only really benefits the SEC and the Big Ten. And but plus, the Big, the Big goes, 12, the Big 12 was going to get a Power 5 uh, automatic bid in that 12-team playoff. That's not an automatic right. bid conference now. No, I don't think it is. I think they did the best they could. And again, I talked about this today. The schools they added, they did the best they could. but It should have happened five years ago. Yeah, but I also think they need ESPN's generosity to may even maintain the same level of compensation, and I don't think ESPN will be that generous with them. Uh, my, my fascination is uh, between the American and the Sun Belt, uh, what's the next move? The American is not a good league now. Losing their three best football programs, just not a good league. Um, and I don't know that there's anybody that they could add that would provide anything that those that those three schools really provided. Uh, it, th that league, to me, is at a crossroads. Um, there's no media markets except Charlotte, uh, really, to add, or, or Georgia State uh, to add. That's really what the American was was built on media markets. Some good football, but uh, as it turned out, they added media markets, and some of those schools became great in football. Houston. Cincinnati, Central Florida. Now those are all gone. So I don't know what they do. I really don't. To me, that's the fascinating next step. I do know this. The history of expansion in college, in college football uh, means that we've got several more moves to come.
Several more moves to come. Adam Gold, we started this segment with Cole here playing some Billy Joel, which had me thinking about one of the best concerts I've ever been to was Billy Joel playing for three hours at Truist Field a few years ago. What is the best Mm. concert that Adam Gold's ever been to? Wow. Best concert. I was at the concert in Central Park in 1984, Simon and Garfunkel uh, getting back together and doing a free concert. Um, I've been to a lot of great shows. I've been to Dead Shows, Steely Dan, two of my most memorable concerts uh, involved Steely Dan. One in Charlotte, one in at the Biltmore, uh, on the back porch of the Biltmore where Steely Dan played one year. But uh, Simon and Garfunkel, the concert in Central Park, which you can actually buy, uh, was just an unbelievable all-day-long experience. That's awesome. On Twitter, at Fan, listen to the Adam Gold Show next week, noon to three, all during the week. Enjoy your weekend, buddy. Enjoy the football. Thanks for doing this. Oh, I cannot wait. There he goes. That's Adam Gold joining us here. I can't wait either. Uh, Duke football going to be in action in about two hours or so against A&T. That pregame coverage is going to start at 6.30 on the radio and then on WSGSSports.com and on the app, you can listen to our high school football broadcast as Southeast going to go up against Southern Guilford. Let's get after it this weekend. What do we got in Ticket to the House? It is a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. I'm interested to see how good of singers you both are. What do we have? We had somebody who went around the world eating different raw beef dishes. No kidding. That's next on The Drive.